This week, on A Dark Cup of History, we look at a property that has soaked up some of the haunting sadness of the land around it, Malcolm Castle. A popular sightseeing destination, it has also become a hangout for paranormal investigators, even inviting some from as far overseas as the USA. Its many inhabitants, some still roaming the halls, have led to Malcolm being renowned for its spiritual activity, and it's even spawned a somewhat questionable horror film about the castle's otherworldly visitors. So, wrap your blankets warm around you, make sure you have a torch and an EMF reader, just in case. And let's get dark. So, the history of this historic place. The history? <laughs> it's of import. Oh, right. <clears throat> it is nestled in the heart of Port Talbot in Wales. It sits the Grade 1 listed Gothic mansion of Margham Castle. It was constructed in 1830 for the one Christopher Rice Mansell Talbot, the house cost £50,000 to construct, which is about £6,085,225 and 5 pence today. Do not forget that 5p, it is very important. Uh, they, the build used local sandstone sourced from the nearby pile quarry and took nearly a decade, 10 years, to complete. Um, it used what's called a Tudor Revival style and um, was built on land that has a known history of occupation for at least like 4,000 years. So it's the land has been there for obviously the land has been there for a while, but it's been occupied for a while. Yeah, uh, the castle is now in the ownership of the Northport Talbot County Borough Council, and is open to the public to enjoy its beautiful construction and majestic parkland. The remains of the Iron Age hill fort known as Munith Urchestech can be seen north of the modern day building. Following the Norman invasion of Wales from 1067 to 1081, ownership of the land of Margan passed to Robert Fitzroy, first Earl of Gloucestershire and Lord Glamorgan. 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 I think Glamorgan sounds better. No, why is Glamorgan? Is that going to my head? I don't know. Think on it. It'll come to you like three o'clock in the morning. You'll remember why you're thinking of Glamorgan. (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) Sorry, I do digress a lot. Um, Fitzroy was the illegitimate son of King Henry I of England, second son of William the Conqueror, and half-brothers of the Empress Matilda, who played a big part in a period of English history known as the Anarchy. We will hopefully cover that period of time of history in a later episode. It's really, really interesting, but it's not as well known as like the, the English Civil War or the Wars of the Roses, but yeah. it is still quite a pivotal time. I'm also right in thinking that Fitzroy was given to was the name given to like anyone who was born out of wedlock to a king like for instance Jon Snow in Game of Thrones the snows are given to yeah to, to someone born in a certain area yeah um, yeah Fitzroy literally means son of king Fitz yeah. it's from Norman French like wow being king yeah. so Fitzroy so I just wanted to say that if you hear of a Fitzroy in the 10 hundreds and then obviously Henry Fitzroy from like Henry VIII legitimate kid like they aren't related if they you, just have the same surname because they were born of the king, but not the king's wife. If your surname is Fitzroy, then somewhere along your family tree, you were the illegit- your ancestor was the illegitimate son of a king. So, yeah, you got that going for you. Um, so, Fitzroy gave the land to Clairvaux Abbey, which is a monastery in the kingdom of Burgundy, which is modern-day France. Um, and it was given for the founding of a Cistercian monastery there. For those who who don't know, monastic orders follow different rules for living depending on the lives and teachings of particular saints. So, for example, the Franciscans follow St. Francis, the Benedictines follow St. Benedict, and so on. So you can usually tell um, an order just by the the colour of the habits or the robes that they wear. 
Yeah, the Cistercians are an offshoot of the Benedictine order, so they follow the rule of St. Benedict. There's a lot more to it than that, but this will suffice as a tangent for now. And I don't need to go on any more tangents. We've been doing this five minutes and we've gone on 50. Yep. We, we are... It's, this is not a linear show. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, considering it's a timeline, it's not linear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the monastery they built... The what? <laughs> the monastery they built became... Margam Abbey and the ruins of this can still be seen today sitting nearby the castle and some of the stone from the abbey was actually used to build it so yeah following the dissolution of the monasteries in 1536 under the rule of my bay Henry VIII the site of the now former abbey was purchased by Sir Rhys Rice Mansell his family went on to build a large Tudor manor with parkland on site I have a hair in my mouth are you eating your own hair? No, it was from the glass. Oh, are you okay? I, I, I can feel it, but I can't feel it. I can't move. Go on. <laughs> it's going well so far. <laughs> this survived into the 1700s when it was demolished and the family moved to an alternative ancestral seat at Penrice Castle for almost a century. Thomas Mansell Talbot was born in 1747 and died in 1813, then commissioned architect Anthony Keck to design and build a new mansion next to the ruins of the original Margam Tudor Castle. He later employed Keck full-time at Margam to help him turn it into a pleasure garden, most noted for its impressive... Orangery? Orangery, yeah, where they grow oranges. Yeah. yeah it was, you know, Inventive I mean, name. Gro- growing oranges, a citrus fruit in the middle of England, took some, took some doing back then, so it was impressive. Um, Thomas was succeeded to the family estate by his 10-year-old son, Christopher Rice Munsell Talbot. Um, Rice being an Anglicanisation, what? Making it anglicised of Rice. So technically Christopher Rice. Um, He later re-established Margam as the main family seat and he commissioned Thomas Hopper with the help of Edward Haycock Sr. to develop the family home, building on the Tudor revival style to try and recapture the original glory of Margam. I like that. He wanted to keep it like as it was. Yeah. Like take it back in time. Um, a frequent visitor to the new castle was one Hilliam Hilliam <laughs> Hilliam Wenry Hilliam Hilliam Wenry Stephen. Ah. Ah. Sorry. <laughs> Tell me you're dyslexic without telling me you're dyslexic. <laughs> <sighs> a frequent visitor to the new castle was one William Henry Fox Talbot who was credited with inventing the salted paper and chlorotype processes, which were early versions of what we call photographs. The castle featured heavily in some of his early experimental works. Sorry, people. (laughs) (laughs) And we we usually do sound more, you know, more seasoned than this, but today today is just not... I don't know why, but it's fine. Margaret Castle's great. It is. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Um, another photographic claim to fame for Margam is that it featured in the earliest known Welsh photograph called a daguerreotype in 1841 by the Reverend Culvert Richard Jones. Now, Emily Charlotte Talbot, fantastic name, brilliant name, amazing name, all the best people called Emily. She succeeded her father, Christopher, to the seat at Margam, and on her death it passed to her nephew and on through the Talbot line until 1941 when it was sold to Daniel Evans Bevan, the owner of the Vale of Neath Brewery. For you, Em, um, Daniel Evans Bevan's father was called Evan Evans Bevan. You're welcome. <sighs> Do not let Maddie know that. My little sister was to name her first child Evan Kevin, and we're like, that's stupid, Evan Kevin. But if there was called Evan Evan Bevan, she'll be like, I can have Evan Kevin because it's not Evan Bevan. 
And also, random fact for you, at at the time of her, like not long before her death, um, Emily Charlotte Talbot was one of the wealthiest women in England, including the Queen. Because well, her name's Emily. United Kingdom, I should say. Yeah. Her name's Emily, it's what we do. You're broke, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making my way to my fortune. I'm making my way downtown, walking past places, past, and I'm still broke. Evans Bevan soon found that a castle of Margam's size was a bit much for him to live in, so he tried to sell it to a public organisation who might be willing to open it out, much like the National Trust. However, no one was willing to take it on, and the castle passed onto the hands of the local authority as she sadly fell into disrepair. In 1977, a bad fire caused a great deal of damage and, whilst devastating in its initial effect, the fire spurred a full restoration project, leading to the beautiful building that we see now. But beauty is only brick deep. Sorry, I I thought that was dramatic. The dark side. Something, something dark side. I was trying to sound cool, like our friends Liam and Tobias, they have like... Things that they say before stuff. Yeah, but we're not the manic podcast. Two ends. Two ends. Very, Very important. important. Nice little plug. Yeah. But yeah, so the dark side yeah. of Margam Castle. So, you know we mentioned the Iron Age Hellfort, mm-hmm. whose name I will not say again. Okay. Um, well, what we didn't mention is that in and around the grounds have also been found Bronze Age burial mounds. Ooh. Predating the Iron Age Hellfort. Um, They're old. And they weren't the last deaths at Margam. In 1898, Margam was the site of a grisly crime when the head gamekeeper, Mr Robert Scott, was doing his rounds and happened upon a poacher. This miscreant had made a gap for himself in the wall that marked the boundary of the land belonging to the estate and had made his way onto the land in order to poach himself some game. So, pheasant, rabbit, that sort of myth. Um, Having been spotted by Scott, the poacher legged it back towards the wall Scott ran towards the wall as well, hoping to get there first and thereby cut the poacher off um, so he could be brought to justice. He made it and turned back to the poacher, coming face to face with a barrel of a shotgun that fired. The, the impact dislocated Scott's jaw. What I did, I was reading and I was like, <gasps> but I didn't Shock. say it out loud. <laughs> Shock. The impact dislocated Scott's lower jaw and shattered most of his facial bones, but it did not kill him. This dude got shot in the face and didn't die. No, but his face was basically shattered. He staggered away and made it a fair bit, but painful distance before he collapsed from the pain and the shock. Instead of using this chance to run for it, the poacher decided to make sure there could be no witnesses. He caught up with Scott and took another shot, hitting him in the shoulder before turning and running away. Scott died that night, bleeding out alone on the grass. He left behind a wife and a young child... Um, his widow was not permitted to view the body of her murdered husband because the damage done to him seemed too harrowing to see. That's sad. Scott's angry spirit, kind of we get one, yeah. he'd be a bit annoyed, has since been roaming the grounds of Margam Park and he has even been sighted inside the castle itself, glaring down at visitors from the impressive Gothic staircase. We don't know if the poacher was ever caught and brought to justice for Scott's untimely murder, but with his spirit still prowling angrily around and poltergeist activities such as the throwing of stones at visitors, we would assume not. If you walk the hallways of Margam Castle, you won't be greeted by just angry spirits, though. Visitors have reported feeling nudged by something small and hearing the sounds of children laughing and playing, running up and down the hallways. 
When real children visit with their family and they wander off during the tour, they've later been found talking about having played with their new friends. Creepy. Orbs, otherwise known as light anomalies, can be seen and are frequently caught on camera. Cold chills and unexplained noises are a regular occurrence throughout the house and people often catch glimpses of ghostly figures in Victorian-era dress just flitting by. Whilst investigating there during a special UK season of the American TV show Paranormal Lockdown, investigators Nick Groff and Katrina Wiseman stayed for 72 hours locked up at Marvin Castle. Um, So what they do is they investigate mostly during the day with a cameraman and then late at night the cameraman leaves and it's just the two of them and then they will sleep in separate rooms Mm -hmm. and they do that for 72 hours. Um, They spent that time locked up there and during that time they placed a laser grid and a light system known as a shadow tracker on the imposing staircase. So the way the shadow tracker moves is anything, any movement that's put on top of it, the lights move tracking that movement, which is pretty cool. Um, It was then hooked up to a motion sensor camera so that when the tracker went off or the laser grid was disturbed, the camera would immediately take a rapid series of photographs and hopefully capture whatever was there. Um, Partway through the second night, as Nick was sleeping on the mid-stairs landing, he was woken up by flashes of the camera. The motion sensors on the shadow trackers were setting the lights off as though something or someone was stepping over them. Nick was completely on his own and had been dozing. Katrina was asleep in another part of the castle and the cameraman had already left for the evening. Reviewing the footage the next day, a featureless shadow figure can be seen in the photographs moving down the stairs, clear in the lights of the laser grid. Many of the staff that work to maintain the castle grounds have reported seeing the figure of a blacksmith wandering around near the house and report hearing running footsteps and chattering voices, but when they investigate, no one is there. Another ghost seen wandering around a specific area of the grounds, we'll let you guess which part, is a monk affectionately known as Brother Tom. Aww. Phantom footsteps and a pair of legs have been attributed to an Air Force pilot known only as, imaginatively, Legs. A ghost called Legs. Okay, if you are brave enough to face stones being thrown, objects being moved and doors slammed, ghostly figures jostling you, laughing children, angry gamekeepers, silent monks, shadow figures and legs, then you can go on one of the many paranormal investigations that are held each year at Markham Castle. It is currently under renovation and restoration works. However, you can hire the castle out for an evening if you fancy. I know we are definitely intrigued. Definitely. I can't believe how cheap it is for an entire night. For I mean, considering they, they allow groups of up to 30 people, which, you know, is fair. Conservation that is, that is quite a big... But it's six £600. Yeah. And that's £20 per person. And Ghost Hunts we've been on, we've paid upwards of... 40 50 pounds yeah you average for just a, a night so you're talking like eight o'clock at night until two o'clock in the morning is about 49 pounds yeah but this gives you full nine hours nine hours access That's so crazy. you can be there until sun up if you time it right and yeah for, for 600 quid i mean mate I'll, I'll be happy to pay that for just five of us to go right and and if you I would recommend they do have a website and they do talk about the paranormal side of things but genuinely have a look at the the castle it's still being worked on inside there are still renovations ongoing um but that staircase is incredible Mm. absolutely incredible so that's it for margan castle bit of a short one yeah um and it's this week's dark cup of history we very spooky lots of sightings lots of different things and other tv shows have done it and like we said we've uh watched some movies yeah um 
if, if you want to watch the movie The Haunting of Margaret Castle, then sure, you, you can do, but we will tell you the scariest thing about that film is not the ghosts. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of why we'd already decided we wanted to do an episode of Margaret Castle. And then was it your mum that had the DVD? Oh, no, we, we found it online. Did we? I thought yeah, it was a DVD. On, no, it's on some streaming website. Um, I thought we, if, oh, was it Ben's mum? Because she gave us two DVDs. Oh, no, she gave us the one that was the autopsy. And the Anna Castle one. Oh. I swear Markham Castle was a DVD. It could have been. Sorry, we're just argue, arguing <laughs> on, on podcast. He doesn't love that. Um, I mean, in a way, no disrespect to the actors that obviously worked hard and, and the writers and directors for it. In a way, I'm glad we didn't pay for it. But you know what? I have that DVD and I'm willing to give it away on this podcast. So you message us if you would like this and I will send it. I will pay the postage and I will send you this DVD of Margham Castle movie. The Haunting of Margham Castle. Because I feel that others should experience what we did. So get in touch. See, I, I would say we should do a competition for it, but this is like a booby prize. <laughs> Mate, I've just done the competition. I'm being serious. If you want this DVD, comment on our socials. At Cup of History Tea on all of our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or email us at cupofhistertea@outlook.com. Yeah. And if you're doing it on social media, put um, put it as like hashtag Margam DVD or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And I will give it. You may have it. And I will I will pay to post it to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst film we've seen. Valhalla Rising. But that now has a sweet memory that we can't hate it anymore. This is true. This is very true. And now that I understand the meaning behind it, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm not re-watching it. No. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Margham Castle. It's, I do want to go. I, I want to go as well. And, I mean, to be fair, just from a historic viewpoint, yeah. it's an incredible place. I'd want to go to see how pretty it was. And you know full well, if um, if we do go there, I will take my trousers and I will be, I'll be digging. I thought you said I would take my trousers off. Yes, I would just take my trousers <laughs> off and walk bare butt naked through a haunted mansion. <laughs> I would take my trowels, my little diggy things. Tools. My tools. And go and... Uh, yeah, I actually have a little brush that I can clean things off as well. And I'll just go digging. I mean, I'll probably get arrested, but it'd be fun. Just make a hole. Yeah, exactly. For the lols. So. So. <laughs> Sorry, we just brought up the website for the for the death, and in the picture, there's ads down the side of it, and one of them is a woman holding her knee, but and Em did like not a see a knee. It like a penis. Well, I mean, if if that is one, then kudos. Um, right, so here's our normal segment, our only segment we've had from the very beginning of this podcast: ridiculous death. Who have we got this week, Carrie? This week, we're kind of... We're sticking with the dark theme. Nice. And for dark, we want to go for one of the... One of the poets of darkness. Okay. Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, he's the poet I mean, of darkness. There's him, there's Stephen King, and there's H.B. Lovecraft. Mm. Like the weird and the wonderful. But the Edgar Allan Poe and the raven. Yes. Sticks into my head. Yes. So, um... His death was not ridiculous, it was mysterious. Because okay. to this day, nobody knows. Still? Like, oh, still. Still nobody right, knows. Okay. Um, so, basically, for those that don't know, Edgar Allan Poet... Poet? <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe was a poet uh, and an American writer. And he, he operated during the Romanticism era, so like the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, 
and he was he was quite prominent in American literature and over here as well in English in English literature. And some of his poems, like The Raven or his stories like The Telltale Heart, are, are really dark. They're really good. Yeah. Um, he died on the seventh of October, eighteen forty nine, under what is still known as mysterious circumstances. Um, he was forty years old at the time. And he was quite young still. It is quite young, to be fair. And um, he was due to go from the 27th of September, he was due to leave where he was currently staying in Richmond, Virginia, to go and edit a collection of poems to be ready for publishing. Um, But he never reached his destination. And for five days, nobody saw or heard about him at all. Um, Until one man, a Mr. Joseph W. Walker, on the 3rd of October, 1849, found what he described as a shabbily dressed man lying in the gutter semi-conscious in Baltimore, Maryland. He looked very closely at the man and recognised him as Edgar Allan Poe himself. So he took him to a hospital, which was the Washington College Hospital, and four days later, on the 7th of October, Edgar Allan Poe died. To this day, nobody knows what it was that killed him, why he was in Baltimore, Maryland, because he had no reason whatsoever being there, and why he was in someone else's clothes. All we know is that he was incredibly delirious and he just died. That's so strange. There's there's no explanation to it. That's from, very odd. From what I can gather, I've done a little bit of reading around it, not a huge amount, but he was dilapidated, he was dressed in someone else's clothes, he was shabby, he was unkempt. But there were no wounds, there was no physical injuries, there was no sign of disease, just a little bit grubby. But he was delirious, completely delirious. I mean, it could have been something like an opium overdose, possibly. Could Maybe. have been something like that, but we may never know. Did they do an autopsy on him or anything? Um, I don't know. I haven't been able to find that information. How very odd. Yeah. That is a ridiculous way to, for someone so famous to die without any, weird. like, info. Yeah, it's just like, okay, he's he's gone. And turning up somewhere else in someone else's clothes who someone must know something or must have known yeah. something because he was in someone else's clothes who gave him those clothes something happened in <clears> those <throat> in those five days he was missing somebody knows or knew not not now yeah. somebody knew what happened during those five days but nobody's ever said tray tray cray cray i'm sorry did that hurt you to say as much as it hurt me to hear after i realized what i was saying it is very painful. shame Shame, shame. I'm going to take my shame Dishonor and take leave. Dishonour on you. Dishonour on your cow. Right. We're going to head off now. Thank you so much for being with us. I know we've had another couple of weeks off. Um, but we are back next week with a usual nice cup of history tea. And we're going to be talking about one of Carrie's historical idols, faves, besties. Just, just, ugh. We won't tell you who it is, but what I will say is that he is one of history's not very... He's in a group of people that doesn't happen very often, where he was born and he died on the same day, on the 24th of April. That's all you're getting. 24th? 23rd. That's all you're getting. Yeah. I was thinking 24th. Don't know why. 23rd. That's fine. It's fine. We are excited to do this. So. Yes. Let's so go. tune in in two weeks to find out who we're going to be talking about. But until then... Take care, and we'll speak with you soon. Bye. Don't forget the competition for the DVD. Yeah, DVD. Hashtag Margum. <laughs>